0: Welcome to Bible Center Church, and thank you for joining us for this week's podcast. We pray that the Lord speaks to you as you hear from his word today. Hey there, welcome to church. I'm Pastor Matt, I'd love to meet you next time we're able to meet together in person. It's so great to have you tuning in with us. Uh, For those of you who are part of the Bible Center Church family, I just wanna say it's good to be back with you, at least virtually. My family was away for about 10 days on vacation, so for the last two Sundays, uh, we've been away, but we had a great time. We did the Florida thing, we did the beach thing, I played entirely too much Minecraft, but we did get to see the rocket, the Falcon 9 rocket launch Dragon into space. That was a lot of fun, but it's always good to be back home. Pastor Mike did a phenomenal job preaching while I was away. And so I encourage you to watch his messages from the last two Sundays or listen to those messages. I'm confident they'll be a blessing, but they'll also bring you back up to speed on where we are in the book of Exodus. I wanna invite you to take your Bible or your Bible app and go ahead and open to Exodus 15. Exodus 15 is where we're gonna be today. If you don't have a Bible, you can Google Exodus 15 and it should be right there at the top. But the words are also gonna be up here on the screen. But before we jump into Exodus 15, I wanted to take a second and and let you know that we have a date. Uh, We have a goal now for resuming our in-person worship gatherings. And we're really, really thrilled about that. June 25th and June 25th, 28th, uh, there's actually now gonna be six opportunities to worship. And so we've added a Thursday night worship service. We've been talking about this for a while. Our elders have been discussing it for the last year, and we're gonna launch it on Thursday, June 25th. Many of you travel on vacation or many of you travel for work. You have to work maybe even locally through the weekend. So a Thursday night service just works really, really well for you. And so that'll be a modern format service, just like our 11 o'clock on Sunday, except it'll be on Thursday at 7 p.m. And then you can join us on Sundays at 9 a.m. for the multi-generational service or 11 o'clock for another modern service uh, right here in our worship center. But we have, again, online at 9 a.m. and 11 on Sundays and on Fox 11 on TV, Fox 11 at 11. So there's six opportunities. We'd love for you to jump in uh, to one of those. But again, we're going to resume in person on on Thursday, June 25th, and Sunday, June 28th. When we gather, there's gonna be a number of things that are different and a number of things that are the same. I'll start with just a few things that'll be different. One of the things that'll be different when you arrive, you'll find the parking lot is gonna be resealed and restriped. Uh, There's gonna be new signage. You're gonna see some fencing up now around our fields. The fields are beautiful. You're gonna wanna check those out. Just this week, we poured a concrete pad for our middle school to be able to play basketball right outside their door and do other activities. Uh, When you come into the worship center, you're gonna notice that actually the sound booth has been moved. We've actually moved it uh, to the back center of. Of our auditorium, and so if things look differently to you, just expect change. This is a season of change, but just know that everything we do, we have a reason for it. It actually helps our production. It helps us continue to be able to have a good camera presence, even after we begin meeting in person uh, on June 25th and June 28th. The building is cleaner than I think I've ever seen it. Our facility staff has done a great job. Uh, whenever you come in the door, you're going to notice there's not going to be a bulletin, no bulletin for you. Uh, we're not gonna wanna hand you anything and I'm sure you can appreciate that in this season. It may end up being a forever thing, uh, but when as you come in, be sure to get your announcements off of the app, off of the website, uh, off of social media, and of course, we'll make announcements from the platform uh, in this season. But just be alert to more changes uh, coming your way, more announcements. We just wanna keep people safe as we start to gather here in a couple of weeks. One of the things that's gonna be the same when we begin to gather, of course, is the teaching and preaching. Bible Center was built on Bible teaching and preaching. Uh, But another thing that's gonna be the same is our singing. We're gonna continue to sing loudly and sing heartily unto the Lord. And so today, in today's message, I'm gonna be talking primarily about why do we sing? Why is it that God's people for thousands of years have sung in worship in response to God? You know, I learned this week that there's actually a movement, I had heard about it, but I didn't know it was quite as strong as what it is, a movement of some who would say that we shouldn't actually sing in church. Yes, keep the Bible preaching and teaching and keep the discussion and keep the prayer, but no singing in church. It makes people feel uncomfortable. And so I'll ask you right there where you sit or where you stand, what do you think? What do you think about, should we keep the singing or not keep the singing? Of course, we're gonna ask God what he thinks in his word. And so that's gonna really be the most of my message. I'm gonna tell the story of Exodus 15. And then of course, you know what angle I'm coming from. You're gonna know my perspective. I'm gonna give you one Bible reason why why singing is so important when we gather for worship. So let's go ahead and dive into Exodus 15 and let's see what God's word has to say. Verse number one. Then Moses and the Israelites sang this song to the Lord. I will sing to the Lord, for he is mighty, highly exalted, both horse and driver he has hurled into the sea." Now to give you a little context on where we are in verse one, uh, this is again the 15th chapter of Exodus. And so for the previous 14 chapters, the people of Israel had come out of hundreds of years of slavery in Egypt. Uh, God had called Moses at the age of 80 to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt. And last Sunday we heard as Pastor Mike taught that God led them through the Red Sea and the miraculous work that he did there of parting the waters. And so now, they're on the other side of the Red Sea and they are worshiping. They're in response to what God just did. So I wanna ask you to imagine just for a moment, pretend, uh, imagine that you're part of the people of Israel. You've just come through the Red Sea. And let's say you're the person at the back. You're the last one to step on the Eastern shore, probably the Eastern shore of the Gulf of Aquaba, uh, the part of the, one of the fingers of the Red Sea. And as soon as you step on shore, God and through the leadership of Moses brings the waters back together on top of your enemy. We're gonna see in a second that God smashed the enemy with the water. He defeated a whole regiment of charioteers in the Egyptian army. And so, just picture with me for a moment. There was probably a moment of silence, just people dumbfounded, people in awe as to what God just did. Finally, somebody breathes, and then maybe somebody whispers. But then there's this this volcano of emotion, this volcano of praise. They begin to sing in response to being grateful to what God did in the Red Sea. You say, Matt, what did they sing? Well, verse one that we just read is actually the very first line of the song that they sang. In this entire chapter, chapter 15 is the song, or most of the chapter is the song of Moses and the people of Israel in response to God's grace. This song is sometimes referred to as the religious national anthem for Israel. Some have called it the song of Miriam. The New Testament calls it the song of Moses in Revelation 15. And traditionally the Jewish people have called it the song of the sea, the song of the sea. And that's important, not only for what God did at the Red Sea, but this, this emphasis on the water, this emphasis on the sea. It's because, you see, ancient peoples believed that the God of gods, the King of kings, the only the Lord of lords, only the warrior of warriors could truly be powerful enough to tame the sea. They saw the sea as untameable. They believed it it would take a great warrior stronger than any other God to one day be able to tame the sea. And so God was sending a message and Moses was sending a message. Notice what he writes in verse two. He chooses his language on purpose. Of course, every word being inspired by the Holy Spirit. The Lord is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. He is my God and I will praise him. My father's God and I will exalt him. The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. I love the way one author describes this song in response to this, this warrior imagery. He says this, he says, Exodus 15 is a pinning ceremony, a pinning ceremony where the people of God decorate God with worship. Just like you would decorate a warrior with medals for his courage. God is a warrior. Now let's look at verses four and five and see what happens next. Moses writes, Pharaoh's chariots and his army, he has hurled into the sea. The best of Pharaoh's officers are drowned in the Red Sea. The deep waters have covered them. They sank to the depths like a stone. Before we move on, it's important to again remember that even though Exodus 15 is a poem and he's using poetic language and figurative language, the events that he's referring to are from Exodus 14. This literally happened. Exodus 14 is written in narrative genre, in narrative format. And so it's important for us to see that this literally happened. I like to say that the literal people of Israel left a literal Egypt and eventually crossed a literal section of the Red Sea on literal dry ground. Then God literally defeated a portion of Pharaoh's army by literally drowning them. This happened. And so now Moses is leading the people in praise in response to what just happened. Now let's notice verse six. In verse six, Moses changes perspective a bit. He's been talking about God in the third person, he and him, and now he's gonna talk to God in the second person, directly to God. Verse six, your right hand, Lord, was majestic in power. Your right hand, Lord, shattered the enemy. He's talking about God's dominant hand, God's strong hand uh, shattered the enemy. Now, if you're taking notes, you wanna underline the word shattered because again, this word was chosen and used on purpose. The Egyptians had a custom where they would write or inscribe the name of their enemy on a piece of pottery. They would pronounce a curse over that piece of pottery as if to announce a curse over their enemy, much like people use voodoo dolls today. And then they would crush that pottery as if to say, may this happen to my enemies. And so here in Exodus 15, the language is on purpose. The people coming out of Egypt would have known that custom. And they knew that God turned their enemies on their heads. God won the battle. Now notice what it says in verses seven through nine. The language here is just beautiful. In the greatness of your majesty, you threw down those who oppressed you. You unleashed your burning anger. It consumed them like stubble. By the blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up. The surging waters stood up like a wall. The deep waters congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy boasted. I will pursue, the enemy says. I will overtake them, talking about Israel. I will divide the spoils, I will gorge myself on them. I will draw my sword and my hand will destroy them. Now this was the enemy of Israel, uh, Egypt in particular, but we understand looking back at the book of Exodus that at this particular time, this particular regime was of course somewhat possessed. They were driven by satanic or demonic forces. And this passage just reminds us that we today still have an enemy. We today have someone who is out to to kill and steal and to destroy. And in John chapter 10 and verse 10, Jesus said, it's the devil. His name is Satan. First Peter 5, 8 says, be sober, be vigilant, be watchful because your adversary, the devil, like a roaring lion walks about seeking whom he may devour. And so it's just important for us to remember that yes, we love God, but we also have an enemy because God has an enemy. Now in verse 10, he continues with his language. He says, you blew with your breath and the sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. Talking about this particular regiment of the Egyptian army. Who among the gods is like you, Lord? Who is like you? Majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, working wonders. You stretch out your right hand and the earth swallows your enemy. In your unfailing love though, you will lead the people you have redeemed. In your strength, you will guide them to your holy dwelling. When we talk about holy dwelling, if you wanna make a note or just underline that, we're gonna come back to that in a minute. All along, God has been pointing his people, he's been directing his people, not just out of Egypt, but into a future place that he calls the holy dwelling. We'll see that in just a moment. Notice verse 14. The nations will hear and tremble. Anguish will grip the people of Philistia. But in verse 15, he goes on to say, as he continues naming nations, the chiefs of Edom will be terrified. The leaders of Moab will be seized with trembling. The people of Canaan will melt away. Terror and dread will fall on them. By the power of your arm, they will be as still a stone until your people pass by, Lord, until the people you bought, that's an important word, pass by. You will bring them in and plant them on the mountain, of your inheritance. Let's not forget that phrase, mountain of your inheritance. The place, Lord, you made for your dwelling, there's our word again, the sanctuary, Lord, that your hands established. So let's go ahead and stop for a moment and ask, where is this dwelling of God? God said, I'm taking you out of Egypt. I'm taking you to a mountain where I wanna meet with you. You say, where is that mountain? Well, at first glance, we may be tempted to think it's Mount Sinai, because in a few weeks, we're gonna hear that God did meet with, meet with his people on Mount Sinai, but all the descriptive language that he uses in these verses does not point to Mount Sinai. These words are used elsewhere in the Old Testament to point to another mountain. I'll give you some references if you wanna take notes. According to 1 Kings eight thirteen, this is the temple mount, in Jerusalem, he's referring to the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. First Kings eight thirteen, the same name for the entire city of Jerusalem is recorded in Second Chronicles chapter six and verse two. In Isaiah chapter four and verse five, Isaiah four five, Isaiah calls all of Jerusalem Mount Zion, God's holy dwelling place. In Isaiah thirty-three twenty, 20, Isaiah calls Jerusalem just Zion. He drops the mount, but he calls it Zion, the dwelling place of God. And then using the same language from Exodus 15, the writer of Psalm 79, 1 refers to the entire mountain of Jerusalem as God's inheritance. You see, when I was growing up, thankfully my parents raised me in church and I heard so many good Bible stories and faithful Bible teachers and Sunday school teachers and children's leaders. But I had this idea in my mind that God was leading the people to the promised land, a land that they had never heard of, this strange land that that they were just surprised when they arrived there. But I've come to learn that's not the case at all. For their hundreds of years in captivity in Egypt, generation after generation longed to go back to that land, the land that we call Israel today, because it was in that land, specifically in the city of Jerusalem, specifically on the mountain of Jerusalem, used to be called Mount Moriah, is where God had met with their father, Abraham. God had met with Abraham on Mount Moriah and Abraham almost sacrificed his own son. And then finally, at the last minute, God said, no, Abraham, don't sacrifice your own son. I'm gonna provide another sacrifice. And as a kid growing up in church, I heard the story about how God instead provided a ram to sacrifice on the altar for Abraham. But I've come to learn that when God said he's gonna provide another or better sacrifice, he was thinking far beyond the lamb and the ram. He was thinking about someone else who would die on Mount Zion someone who would go into Jerusalem and be crucified on a little hill as part of Mount Zion, just outside the city gates, a place called Mount Calvary. He was talking about himself. And in Exodus 15, Moses is praising God prophetically for the future, about a a day is coming when God will open up access from us to him through his own hands. Why does Moses say it would happen through his own hands? Because it was his own hands, the hands of Jesus Christ that were pierced, that were crucified and nailed to the cross. And it was Jesus who made access from us to God. That's why the Bible says that when Jesus died in the temple, there was this big curtain to keep people out, that God literally ripped that curtain apart from top to bottom. You see, this is the good news. The good news is more than just that you can have your sins forgiven, although that's good news. But the good news is that you can actually have the presence of God. Grace is the self-giving of God. God literally has made it possible for you to have himself through Jesus Christ. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. Thankfully, Jesus didn't stay dead on that mountain, but Jesus rose from the dead on the third day. 40 days later, he ascended back into heaven. And Jesus tells you today, right there where you sit, right there where you stand, on that bed, on that couch, in your kitchen, wherever you are, God says, whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Will you commit your life to Jesus Christ today? Would you give your life to Christ? This this is a bigger story. It's bigger than me, it's bigger than you. And God is inviting you to be part of this story by giving your life for the one who made it possible for you to have access to the Father, Revelation chapter twenty-one and twenty-two just fits so perfectly with the rest of Exodus fifteen. Re- Revelation twenty-one and twenty-two, the last two chapters of the Bible, tell us that one day Jesus is going to return. He's going to restore all things. He's going to renew all things. There's going to be a renewed heaven, a renewed earth. Actually, there's going to be a a new Jerusalem or a renewed Jerusalem, and I don't even understand all that that means but it's from the new Jerusalem that Jesus is going to reign for eternity. And that's why Moses writes what he does in verse 18 of Exodus 15. Notice verse 18. He says, the Lord reigns forever and ever. Then Moses gives us a quick recap of everything that's happened so far in verse 19. When Pharaoh's horses, chariots, and horsemen went into the sea, the Lord brought the waters of the sea back over them, but the Israelites walked through the sea on dry ground. Then Miriam the prophet, Aaron's sister, took a timbrel in her hand and the women followed her with timbrels and dancing. I love these verses for a number of reasons, but one of the main reasons I love these verses is because Miriam is close to 90 years of age at this time. The Bible never tells us exactly her age, but we know she was about a decade or so older than Moses because of the events of Exodus chapter one. And the Bible does tell us that Moses was 80 years of age at this time. So here you have a 90 year old woman. Don't mess with grandma, right? Grandma is leading enthusiastically in worship because she is so overwhelmed at the grace of God. Miriam couldn't help but sing the song. And according to verse 21, you can read that for yourself. She goes back and leads the entire congregation through the song again by herself. Why did Miriam sing? Well, I believe it's the same reason that we sing, it's the same reason that God invites the church to sing. Moses and Miriam sang because they were saved. And today, We sing because we're saved. I told you at the end of the message, I would give you one thought, one truth, one reason. There are other reasons that we sing, but I just wanna try to leave you today with this one truth. We sing because we're saved. This fits the emphasis of Exodus 15. In Exodus 15, 13, Moses said that he sang because he had been redeemed. In Exodus 15, 16, he says he sang because God had bought his people. Over and over again in the book of Exodus, God tells us that the purpose for redeeming Israel out of Egypt was so that they might worship him. And we know today in the New Testament that worship is so much more than singing, but it is certainly not less than singing. And I know in my life, often worship is energized. It's, it's invigorated through my singing, not just by myself, but with the people of God in worship of God. I put some more things in your notes, you can study them there, different songs in the Bible, different responses to the way, not only that we were saved from the penalty of sin, but how we're still being saved from the power of sin. And one day in heaven, we're gonna be saved from the presence of sin. But as we close, let's talk just for a moment about why we sing in church. You know, the reason we don't sing, I'll start there, we don't sing just for a filler. We don't sing just to warm up for the the better part of worship, the teaching and the preaching. But do you know that actually our singing is just as much part of the worship as our praying, as the preaching and the teaching, as our giving, as our ministering to one another. Singing is near and dear to the heart of God and part of his plan for our worship. In Zephaniah chapter three and verse 17, the prophet says that God actually sings. And so when God is sings, we respond by singing with him. The Psalms command us to sing over a hundred times. Psalm 22, three says that God inhabits the praise of his people. In other words, in some way that we can't fully understand, God is, is near to us in an unusual way corporately when we begin to sing. Hebrews twelve twenty two tells us that the angels join us when we gather together in a building like this, that angels literally come and join us in worship. There's something that's hard to understand, but I believe God's word. Colossians chapter three and verse 16, God invites us to teach one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. These were categories that the Colossians would have clearly understood. And we might not understand what those categories are today, but we can speculate. In our worship services, you notice there's a variety. There's songs that are written directly from the scriptures. It's as if we're singing the words of scripture themselves. And then there's other songs that we sing that were written by human beings. They're not the very words of scriptures, but oh, they are beautiful, both contemporary, modern, and traditional. And then there are spiritual songs. they are songs that maybe aren't quite as deep, but they're songs that just sing praise directly to God. They express what the soul is feeling. And so God invites us in our worship services, no matter what the style is, to sing with all of our hearts. In the New Testament, singing is the barometer of our unity. Whenever I first came to Bible Center, almost five years ago, I had a gentleman tell me, I don't think he knew I was from West Virginia. And so I was born here in Charleston uh, and I don't think he knew my background. I was raised here in the Kanawha Valley, but he wanted to tell me about West Virginians. And he told me, he said, now pastor, I just want you to know that West Virginians don't sing. West Virginians really don't like to sing. It's not part of our culture. And I don't wanna be a know-it-all because the Lord knows and you know, I'm certainly nowhere near a know-it-all. But I did ask him, have you ever been to Mountaineer Field at the end of the game when we win? He knew exactly what I was asking. Because if you go to Mountaineer Field and we win, everybody sings country roads at the top of their lungs, whether they can sing or not. You see, according to God's word, and I believe even according to the way we're made, we are wired to sing. If you go to an Imagine Dragons concert, people are singing their faces off because it's something that they love. If you go to a Taylor Swift concert or wherever it is you go, people are singing their faces off because we sing in response to that which we love. Some of my most memorable moments in my Christian journey have revolved around singing. I remember as a kid, my pastor, the traditional church I grew up in, my pastor would often go to hymn number 210. In our hymn book, it was Saved by the Blood. And he would lead us, he would take his coat off and sometimes take his tie off, and he would lead us and saved by the blood. And I can remember a particular moment where God just spoke to me in a unique way. And I believe that God used services like that and songs like that to bring me to where I am today. I remember a particular moment, probably one of the lowest moments of my life. I was just depressed. I was discouraged about nine, 10 years ago. And I remember I was in a storage shed doing some work on some of our furniture. We were getting ready to move. And I remember hearing Bible Center's CD that they had created from their contemporary service. And now it's it's an older song, but then we were singing, here I am to worship, here I am to bow down. And I can remember in that, war, in, that, in that storage shed, just crying and getting on my knees with God, that song, God used it in my life to get me through a very, very, very dark season. My daughter, Riley, our daughter came to faith in Jesus through listening to a, a familiar Hillsong song. We were driving down the interstate and she knew the gospel, but she just couldn't connect it to faith. And I can almost take you, Sarah, and I can take you to almost the mile marker. I remember the sign where she said, I get it. I get what faith is. It was as if God gave her the gift of faith right then and there. And he used a song to teach the heart of a child what faith is all about. There are days where I've come into this auditorium and I've come in on a Sunday morning and maybe I've been discouraged over something. And I'll look over at our friend, Kenny Smith, Kenny, is, his father's given his permission to say this. Kenny is one of our, our, our young men and, and God has seen fit to, to allow him to be born with Down syndrome. And when Kenny sings with all of his heart, it is moving. And it is so hard for me to say discouraged and, and down when I'm watching Kenny just praise the Lord, whether we're singing in the traditional multigenerational song or a modern song because singing is near to the heart of God and singing is one of the primary ways that we worship God together. You know, I didn't know it until this week, but Exodus 15 is actually quoted in Revelation chapter 15. So if you wanna remember that, it's Exodus 15 and Revelation 15. But in Revelation 15, God says there's gonna be a special place in heaven for the song of Moses. Let's read Revelation 15, starting in verse two. He says, "'I saw what looked like a sea of glass glowing with fire "'and standing beside the sea, "'those who had been victorious over the beast "'and its image and over the number of its name. "'They held harps given them by God "'and sang the song of God's servant Moses "'and of the Lamb.'" There it is. "'Great and marvelous are your deeds, "'Lord God Almighty.'" "'Just and true are your ways, King of the nations. "'Who will not fear you, Lord, and bring glory to your name? "'For you alone are holy. "'All nations, all ethnicities, all ethnicities "'will come and worship before you, "'for your righteous acts have been revealed.'" Why do we sing? We sing because we're saved. That's why we'll sing in heaven. And I, I ask you, that's why we sing right now. Here's what I want you to do. I wanna encourage you, if you're healthy and you're able to make plans to join us in person, by God's grace, we'll always have our online services and we'll, by God's grace, as long as we can have the, the TV services. But I'm gonna ask if you're able, as soon as you're able, for us to gather in person and sing together the Psalms of the faith and praise the Lord together. You say, Pastor Matt, why would we do that? Well, for all the same reasons that we heard in Exodus 15. We heard in Exodus 15 that that singing drives away the darkness, that singing draws our hearts to God, that singing reminds us of God's salvation. And I imagine a church I invite you to imagine it with me. Imagine a church where our kids and our grandkids grow up where the thing that they remember the most, maybe even more than my preaching and teaching, is they remember that we were a church not of complaining, not of backbiting, not of arguing, not even of unhealthy debating, but we were a church of singing. We sing because we're saved. Will you join me in prayer and let's ask God to make it so. Father, I pray that as we gather in a couple weeks, you will help us to begin to sing at the top of our lungs. And Lord, those of us that don't sing well and I'm in that group, Lord, help us still to sing with all of our hearts because we believe we should sing. You invite us to sing. We want to sing because we're saved. In Jesus' name, amen. Once again, thank you for joining us this week. We look forward to serving you in next week's podcast, along with our weekend services every Sunday morning at 9 and 11 a.m.